No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast, featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions' own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 2019 and beyond uh, Paizo panel here at Gen Con 2019. Thanks uh, to those of you who are joining us in the audience and those of you who are joining us on Paizo's Twitch channel. Uh, I'm Eric Mona. I am the publisher and chief creative officer at Paizo. Um, and with me today are an illustrious band of guests and uh, one late arrival who may be coming soon. So, Rob, why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do? I'm Rob McCrary, and I'm the creative director for the Starfinder RPG. And I am Jason Bullman. I'm the director of game design at Paizo. Awesome. And perhaps joining us uh, mid-session will be Lisa Stevens, our CEO. Uh, and what this panel is all about is taking you guys through basically here into as far into the future as we're willing to reveal, which might be... Surprisingly far in a couple of cases. Shocking. We've been spending a lot of time over the last uh, year uh, um, talking about the, the launch products for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, um, talking about all the products for Starfinder leading up to Gen Con. And now um, we're going to start kind of going through a presentation of where we go from here, starting as quickly as three weeks from now. Uh, <laughs> so without further ado, I'll try and leave time for questions um, at the end, um, but I'm notoriously <laughs> we'll bad at time management at these <laughs> things, so God help us all. All right, so uh, let's start with Starfinder. So uh, the first slide there is an array of friendly creatures, uh, and uh, let's jump to the next one, Attack of the Swarm. So this is actually launching in three weeks. Rob, why don't you talk about Attack of the Swarm? That is correct. So Attack of the Swarm is our next adventure path uh, that runs from August through January. It's Attack of the Swarm with an exclamation point because the Swarm, uh, one of our big threats in the Starfinder setting, a big insectoid horde that just overruns everything, is attacking a system out in uh, the vast. And so here the PCs are going to have to fight and do everything they can to defeat the Swarm and uh, hopefully not get overrun themselves. And we're going to learn a lot more about the swarm in this. And there's lots of, from the previous slide, you see there's lots of insectoid races. They all, many of them make appearances in this AP. And we also learn a lot about uh, Hylax, the goddess who was the original goddess of the, the creatures that, were, that became the swarm and also the Sheerans who broke away from the swarm. So we learn a little bit more about the Sheerans' relationship with the swarm. And uh, yeah, lots of, big, lots of big bug fighting going on. Now, is this going to be a stand-up fight or is this going to be another one of them bug hunts? Ah. Sorry, I couldn't resist myself. All right, moving on. <laughs> wow. All right, uh, so next slide has got um, some uh, information about, you know, twenty two ninety nine monthly. Rob, this is a first-level campaign that goes to It roughly... starts at uh, first and goes to about 13th level. Okay, cool. So yeah. another big, epic Starfinder adventure path. Very much so. Awesome. 
So next up, we have Alien Archive 3. That's correct. That's our next Alien Archive. That comes out this month. And uh, as it says, full of new aliens to fight and befriend. Like all of our Alien Archives, it's chock full of uh, both monsters and creatures to fight, but also ones that you can play as playable races, um, including turtle folk and otter folk and sapient raptors and more. They all have their own names as well. They're not actually called uh, otter folk. They right? are not yeah. called that. Those are large. But they do look like otters wearing clothes, which is adorable. Yes. Do they eat food off their bellies? <laughs> I mean, if they want to, but that does make their clothes a little, a little dirtier. Will. All right. Uh, uh, there's all, there, we always have try to throw in lots of new rules content as well. So there's new equipment and that kind of thing. And then in the back of the book, we have a new rule system of creature companions. So if you've been traveling through the galaxy and you find a cute little alien creature to uh, befriend, well, there's now rules to have that alien creature travel with you on your further travels through the galaxy. Are there going to be rules for the evil alien parasite that lives inside the cute uh, monster? That would that, that that falls into the monster parts, ah, not, good, the, not the pet parts. So, excellent, excellent. Yeah. All right, so that is, that's uh, Alien Archive 360 pages, August. Next up, we got the big one, the yes. big character operations manual. What's that all about, Rob? This is our really big uh, kind of character options book that's coming out. We did uh, a play test last year for three new classes in Starfinder, and this is where they're finally going to be released in their full f options. We'll talk about those in a moment. But uh, besides these three new classes, there's a whole lot of new options for ev all of the uh, race classes in the core rulebook, as well as the races, um, both the core races and the legacy races. So if you need some more dwarf and elf options for your Starfinder game, those are going to be in here. Um, Lots of things, including one of the things is the Xenometric Android. So if you want your Android to look like a Vesk or a Yasoki or a Gnome, this provides an alternate way to create an Android that looks not quite as human, but can look like other alien races. Um, and another thing we're excited in this book is two new roles for Starship Combat. We received feedback that you know, some, some of the magic-using classes didn't have as much to do on starships as we had hoped, so we've created some new roles, including the magic officer. Just like you have a science officer, you can now have a magic officer that gets to do all sorts of magic things to help out in starship combat. But the focus of the book is certainly these three new classes. So let's go and... Let's take a look at them. So first up... First up, we have the biohacker. Uh, this is sort of a buffing and debuffing class. They work with the injection weapons that are already in the game, the little guns that shoot needles full of things. Uh, good things for the biohacker's allies, not so good things for the biohacker's enemies. So it's, it's all about helping out your, the rest of your party by injecting them with fun stuff and uh, doing the opposite to your enemies. Amazing. Next up we have... We have the Vanguard. Uh, this is the big tank class. They are designed to go into combat and just take as much damage as they can and deal it right back to the, to the enemies. Uh, Vanguards also have, you can see his little smoky fist there. They can channel the power of entropy, sort of the entropy that all the universe is going through and can use that energy to power some of their attacks and defenses. Uh, this Our Vanguard here, our iconic Vanguard here is holding a shield. Those are also some new rules that are going to be coming out in the character operations manual is shields in Starfinder and how you use those in combat. All right, and then the third class? Our third class is the Witch Warper. This is a charisma-based spellcaster. Um, they kind of the actual theory of infinite worlds and multiple universes, that's what they play around with. So they reach into alternate realities and pull portions of those into our reality to 
sort of adjust the battlefield and just make life difficult for their foes and also using a bunch of magic. So like maybe out there somewhere there's an alternative universe where the stage we're sitting on right now is like made of lava. Exactly. Like and that. they would totally do that if they didn't like us. Rad. The Witch Warper. So these are the official iconic <clears throat> character illustrations for these three characters by Remco Troost, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, where are people going to be able to learn more about these characters and their backstories and stuff? So on the on our blog at paizo.com, we're going to be actually starting relatively soon. We're going to be doing some uh, short fiction on our blog of the existing Iconics from the core rule books, some little short stories about them. And as we get closer to the release of the Character Operations Manual, we're going to meet who these new Iconics are and see some short stories about them as well. So check out the blog at paizo.com. Awesome. Uh, around this time, um, starting in September, actually, it, which is just only a few weeks away, um, there's another development in the Starfinder front, which is that we have uh, found a partner in the uh, company called Archon, who's going to be fulfilling the uh, Starfinder Masterclass Miniatures Kickstarter that sort of stalled out when the company that did it, Ninja Division, uh, ran out of money. And so we've uh, set up a deal with them to get people, backers, their miniatures that they ordered. And I just had a meeting with those guys about an hour ago. They showed off some early stuff. Um, and I'm really happy to see some uh, progress is going forward on that front. So we'll have Starfinder Minis uh, officially unpainted plastic miniatures uh, starting in September. Yeah. Cool. Finally. And there'll be some new miniatures as well uh, that come with the, the, the fulfilling of the Kickstarter. Okay, let's uh, take a look at this guy, uh, the Deck of Many Worlds. Rob, what is the Deck of Many Worlds? Uh, the Deck of Many Worlds, this comes out in December. That says 2020, but I believe it should be 2019. It's 2019, yes, yeah. It's coming out this error. December. Uh, this There's going to be three more of those coming up. Yeah. This is a deck of cards that lets you randomly generate planets, and they've had all sorts of... Uh, all sorts of information on them that you can combine them together. So if your players just decide to pop into the drift and pop out in some random location, you can create a whole random solar system for them to explore. Or if you just want to use that to sort of pre-build your own planets, uh, the cards give the sort of details about uh, what type of planet it is, what its gravity is like, what its atmosphere is like. Um, it also gives you some adventure hooks or story hooks. Um, and by combining it with other cards, you can kind of populate it with different species from the alien archives. You can talk about what biomes are on that planet. Um, there's, I think, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of combinations. I think it's, it's, it's millions. It may even be millions, like, we, uh, yeah. We put the, we put our math people to work on figuring out the number of combinations, and I, and I think it's over a million. Yeah. And we had a we had a designing planet seminar this morning, and Joe Pacini brought in some of his little prototypes that he had been playing with to show off. So he he was talking a little bit about that. If you want to check out the no direction version of that seminar, but we're really excited about this because it's just it, it allows you to just create all sorts of crazy planets and really cool adventure ideas to set on those planets. Awesome. Uh, and then we've got something I am really excited about, which is the threefold conspiracy adventure path. Yes. Can't say much about this because it's a big conspiracy and it's very, very secret. But uh, we've got some we've got a, a faction in Starfinder called the Unseen. And this is kind of made up of the sort of creepy people that infiltrate other groups like the gray aliens and reptoids and fungal parasites called Decepskians. And this adventure path is all about them and how they're infiltrating everything. And the, the players are going to go through this and basically just 
fall deeper and deeper into this conspiracy, uncovering more and more things and realizing that there's quite a big threat to the packed world and beyond that they're going to have to stop if they can find out what the truth is. The truth is out there somewhere. So these unseen aliens are among us even now is what you're trying to say. I am. I am saying. And that. I think we have proof of it because clearly one of these insidious monsters has stolen the R out of the first word in my second bullet point. OK, moving on. <laughs> um, look forward to lean the part different yeah. factions play. In the, in and the trust no one. Okay, all right, especially my spelling. Okay, uh, lastly, this is a purely new announcement. I don't think we anyone knows this yet, unless you said it in an earlier I seminar. did mention it earlier. All right, so the almost, people who watched that are, saw it, but most yeah. of you probably don't know about this. So what is it, Rob? Next slide. In March is the Near Space book. Uh, this is expanding the Starfinder setting. Uh, we, have the, we have a book about the Pact Worlds. That's kind of the core heart of our setting, but... The next sort of ring of our of the galaxy is near space, and including uh, the Vescarium, the the home system of the Vesk, one of our core races. And so we haven't said much about that, but a good portion of this book is going to be learning all about the Vescarium and Vesk culture and all the planets that they've named after themselves, from Vesk Prime to Vesk Eight, because they're very original that way. Um, you also will explore some of the other uh, species that live in the Vescarium, like the Skittermanders and the Patras. Um, that have, whose planets have been conquered by the Vesk. Um, in addition to that, we have gazetteers of a number of other worlds found throughout near space. Uh, some of these have been mentioned in the core rulebook and get a, get a larger uh, expansion about what's on them. But there's also some completely new worlds and new uh, civilizations or, or nations that are in near space. Uh, there'll be some new Vesk starships. And of course, just like all this, we have a, a bunch of new player options, uh, a lot of it focused on near space. So themes and archetypes, spells, uh, probably some gear, just more options for your characters who might be from near space or might want to visit near space. Speaking of Skittermanders, down in the booth, we have prototypes of a stuffed Skittermander dice bag. Uh, it is the most adorable thing I've ever seen at Gen Con. Uh, it is, uh, they're available in four different colorways, and it's our partners at Ultra Pro who make some of our um, card playing accessories for the card game. They they do dice bags, and we said, what about a Skittermander dice bag? And it's been in development for a while, getting all the, the whiskers right and getting the legs right and the colors right. Yep. And those are going to be coming out in the early, uh, basically in the early spring of next year, it looks like. Um, you can see prototypes of them in the uh, in the booth, uh, at booth 103 in the in the exhibit hall. Um, Rob, any other thoughts to share on Starfinder from here to infinity? I think that covers everything. Cool. So, so Starfinder's doing great. We uh, we just did the beginner box that came out in May. That's bringing a whole bunch of new people to it. The Starfinder Society Organized Play Program continues to do well, and we've been uh, dropping two, I think, uh, digital scenarios every month. And uh, there's a ton of people playing it. If you haven't had a chance to play Starfinder yet, I'd encourage you to pop over to the Sagamore Ballroom and they'll, uh, you know, with a generic ticket in hand, and they'll be happy to uh, to seat you if you don't have an actual ticket. Um, so, all right, nice. Uh, you know, why don't we take a couple questions about Starfinder before uh, we move on and uh, and blow your minds? Maybe not. Oh, we gotta. We got a, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Any questions? Yes, sir? Here comes one. Sorry, Lauren, to throw you a little uh, curveball there. Next uses a shield. Does one of the other Iconics have a companion of some sort? 
Uh, no, they do not. They don't have a companion. I think we were still, we were kind of working on both books at the same time, but that's okay. a good idea for a future iconic, perhaps. Yeah, very nice. Anybody else before I move on? We have a question from Angel Tarragon. Great. Will we see a Starship book? We are not announcing one yet, although, of course, we do have a Starships uh, section in the book, and it is an important part of the game, so, you know, it seems like... Seems like, like that would be a smart book seems, to do. Seems like it would be good to do, yeah, yeah. I can only go so far today, you guys. Um, all right. I like how your answer was, we're not announcing one yet. Right. Right. We're going to do a book for every team. Yeah. Always, so. yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, let's jump into the land of Pathfinder. All right. So there is an array of some characters who are going to be appearing in uh, some of our Lost Omens World Guide books that we'll be doing um, starting in three weeks and going out. Uh, well, we're doing them until you guys stop buying them. But, uh, but these guys are in uh, uh, books between now and the end of 2019. So before I get into some of the, the, the unannounced stuff uh, for, 20, uh, for 2020, I'd like to spend a little bit of time taking a, a stroll through what's between now and the end of the year uh, in all the Pathfinder lines, and we can talk a little bit about each one of those in turn. So the first item actually is already upon us. It is the Age of Ashes Adventure Path. The first volume of the Age of Ashes Adventure Path is uh, called Hell Knight Hill, and it is the first Adventure Path volume for second edition Pathfinder. It's set in the nation of Isger, um, and you are inhabitants of a friendly little town of uh, faithful folk and uh, sort of a rural kind of area. And there's, a, there's an old abandoned Hell Knight citadel not too far from town. And at the beginning of the adventure path, uh, some strange invaders come out of the citadel. Uh, you as uh, would-be young champions of your home uh town, go into the citadel, fight, uh, fight the uh, invaders, and discover a series of uh, magical portals in the basement of the citadel. Those portals take you all around uh, the world of Galarian, uh, including places not even in the inner sea region, and it's a nice little tour of uh, the different lands of uh, the Age of Lost Omens uh, campaign setting. It's also, as you're doing your explorations, you unveil a, a tyrannical plot involving Involving dragons and uh, tyranny and a surprise villain at the end that's going to be so awesome that I can't talk about it any more than that, um, but it's going to shock some people and I guarantee there'll be some threads on Paizo.com about it, um, and I can't wait, uh, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to take you all the way to 20th level. That is one of the great things about the new rules system that we have with second edition. We went in um, to the rule system, not just tightening it up from the 10 years of play experience that we've had and the amazing feedback that we got from play testers all around the world, but also looking at how our rules interact with our adventures and tried to make a real design goal of the game and of our future adventure paths to try to get the whole scope of the entire 20 levels of play in here. And with Age of Ashes, uh, I think we're on the precipice of confirming that that, that, that has actually happened. Um, um, and uh, it's that's the that's the goal from here forward is to get an entire campaign. Um, a lot of the first edition ones tended to peter out between 15th and 17th level. Um, we really want to, you know, if you put the time it takes to run and play an adventure path in, we want to have you play through the whole game. So that's exciting for me um, because I cannot wait to play a regular high level second edition game. Um, but it starts at low level uh, and it is meant to be an introductory uh, campaign. Uh, and the first one's written by Amanda Hammond, and it's really, really good. 
Um, okay, next thing is the Lost Omens World Guide. Uh, this is the campaign setting book for second edition Pathfinder. Uh, this guy was the... The, the poor critter left at the station when the train pulled out for Gen Con. Uh, we, uh, he's just a three weeks delay. So this will be supposed to be out today or supposed to be out Thursday. It's coming out August 28th. We'll be in your friendly local game store. It'll be in the hands of subscribers at paizo.com and on paizo.com and elsewhere where they sell books online. If you can think of any merchants who do that, uh, they'll have this book for sure. This book is 136 pages hardcover. It's got a eight panel poster map of the, uh, in what we used to call the inner sea region. We really still do, but we've been uh, starting to call the campaign setting uh, the Age of Lost Omens, which has been a part of our campaign world since we made it up. Uh, I uh, Back in the day, we brainstormed what, what should we call our campaign setting. We knew the world was going to be Galarian, but we didn't think that was a great commercial thing to put in titles very often. And I think I came up with the Age of Lost Omens, and then I got cold feet and said, no, let's not call it that. And that was a huge mistake, and so now we're calling it that uh, because it sounds cool. Okay, so the uh, Lost Omens, <laughs> a lot of self-revelation here. Uh, on day three at, discovery uh, yeah self-discovery yeah. um uh, okay so lost omens world guide breaks the world into 10 major regions if you've gotten a chance to look at the second edition core rule book you see a summary of each of those regions in the book just to give people a taste of the world behind the game uh, this goes into a deeper dive it's not as deep as the first edition inner sea world guide so if you still have that and want a comprehensive book with a little mini chapter on 50 different countries. Uh, a lot of that stuff is still completely accurate. We have advanced the timeline for the Age of Lost Omens. So when we first published Pathfinder, the year was 2009. Uh, well, when we first published the Adventure Path, the year was 2007. So the, the fake year in our campaign setting was 4707. We always wanted the last digit of the year in the real world to correspond to the last digit in the year in Galarian. We knew that the timeline would have to move forward out of necessity in our Pathfinder uh, Society campaign, which is an ongoing campaign that's now in its 10th year. Actually, it's 11th year if you count uh, the, the season zero we did. Um, and so, but we've been a lot more cagey about the advancement of the timeline in our campaign setting books. And that's because uh, we don't want to invalidate anybody's experience. You know, if you play Rise of the Rune Lords after you played Shattered Star or something, that's totally okay in your, in your game. And we didn't want uh, to, to upset the apple cart in that regard. Uh, but we did want to update and refresh uh, some elements of the campaign setting uh, when we put out second edition. And this is the book that really kind of goes deep into that. Uh, we did not decide to change the world in any kind of major way. There's not a an earthquake that like sunk an entire continent. There's not all of a sudden there's no more elves or anything like that. Um, our assumption is that the world uh, in a grand scale of things is very much as we left it uh, at the end of second edition or first edition. But the changes that we have implemented are the changes that can be inferred from a successful conclusion of the any first edition adventure pass that we've done before. And again, uh, that gives us a chance to update certain elements in a way that holds true to the play experiences people have had. Um, and we didn't want to sort of say that, oh, well, this adventure path was successful, but I guess in this one they got TPK'd and every total party kill, everyone's dead. Uh, so it sort of assumes that you or, or you know your past adventures or maybe adventures yet to come uh, have successfully completed those adventure paths. So for example, um, without going into too many spoilers in the uh, return of the Rune Lords adventure path, the Rune Lords return, and uh, and so the the ramifications of some of that are, are baked into the campaign setting as well. Trying to avoid uh, major spoilers, there are a few things that you're going to have to kind of uh, um, 
if you want to go back and play an old adventure path, you might have to say, yeah, you guys just kind of forget that. But there are elements about the campaign setting that that's true. Like, for instance, who might be a fake god, Jason. Um, and <laughs> uh, that you, everyone just needs to kind of pretend that they don't know. And so that's the that's the route forward here. And uh, so new adventure paths, new mysteries. Um, the year's going to go back into kind of a fuzzy advancement at this stage. Uh, you can sort of assume... Um, if you're like a real, real nerd like I am and are wanting to make your own personal timelines and stuff, you can basically assume that the year that a product came out is very likely the year that we assume that it came out in Galarian. But again, we're not going to get too crazy with that because it takes more than a year to play these adventure paths and so on and so forth. I think we're all better with a loosey-goosey timeline. Okay, so that's the Lost Omens World Guide. We actually have one of these in the display case downstairs at the booth. You can't get in and flip through it, unfortunately, but what you can do is take a look at the map, which we've spread out. The map is pretty awesome. It's a double-sided map. Uh, one side is very similar to the full-page map of the campaign setting um, in uh, the core rulebook, and then the other one's a little bit more like an artist depiction, the sort of thing you'd give your players. doesn't have all the tags on it. It's still a lot of mystery. There's drawings of cities instead of dots and, and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. So pick your poison, whichever one you and your players will enjoy more, you can have. Uh, and if we can advance the slide, uh, here's a look at a spread. We've shown off some spreads from this book before uh, in different panels and things, but uh, for this I wanted to refresh the images into something no one's really seen before. So this is the Shining Kingdoms. This is uh, the region that has uh, Taldor and Andoran and Galt. Um, and Druma and Kyanin, the Elven Nation, and the Five Kings Mountains, the Dwarven Nation. This is kind of our mainline sword and sorcery fantasy knights and armor kind of uh, uh, part of our world. But uh, uh, we being who we are, there's all kinds of twisted turns on that here and there. So Galt is a country that was once sort of a general sort of fantasy land and then has been in the thralls of a horrific, bloody revolution for about 30, 40 years at this stage. So there's a fun little what if it all goes wrong kind of element with that country um, and then uh, let's see what else Druma is a nation of merchants that follow a thing called the prophecies of Calistrade and they wear long white gloves because they can allow their flesh to be uh, you know uh, tainted by uh, non non valuable things and uh, and uh, yeah a, a profit mania cult that's pretty pretty mainline fantasy um, and uh, yeah so uh, one of the things that didn't change speaking of Galt uh, in the update to the campaign setting is we didn't uh, resolve the fact that this country has been in a revolution for a long time and I think that was one of the things folks were maybe expecting to see us update but it really kind of speaks to the philosophy we've taken with updating some of these countries nothing says that the Galt's revolution has to end in any particular time and where we would like to see that end is actually during the course of an adventure or an adventure path we that is a juicy morsel for players and gms to play with and we want it to be played with and not just sort of resolved in box text or in some kind of descriptive thing because we just simply needed to move on so poor poor citizens of galt maybe your heroes will solve their problems as soon as i can figure out a way to put that adventure path on the schedule no, but it's not the next one. Okay, uh, here's a spread uh, uh, that shows the rules elements from the uh, Inner Sea World Guide, not the Inner Sea World Guide, the uh, Lost Omens uh, World Guide. Um, and so here we have backgrounds for the Shining Kingdoms. Every one of the regions has seven to 10 backgrounds. So this book's got about 60 or 70 backgrounds in it. There are, there are about half again as many backgrounds in this book than there are in the core rulebook. And many of them are... Um, uh, significantly more sort of flavorful, more rooted in the setting. There's a lot of stuff in the core rulebook that's like scholar, you know, sailor, barkeep, but then there's like 
Um, I wrote one for the Impossible Lands of uh, Nex uh, that was like Oenopian Ooze Wrangler. Or uh, uh, what was the other one I did? Uh, uh, menagerie, uh, menagerie Dung Sweeper. You know, you can get just a little more goofy and, and, and granular uh, in a campaign setting book. So we got that going on. This is the Lion Blade uh, archetype, a popular prestige class from first edition. These are kind of the espionage agents of Taldor. Um, and yeah, so fun, fun, fun. That is the uh, Lost Omens World Guide. And here's the map I was telling you about uh, in the next slide. So that is uh, our full page map. I think this is actually the version of the map that appears in the core rule book. Um, and uh, this has this comes in poster form with even more tags uh, in the the inner uh, in the. <laughs> Lost Omens World Guide. Okay. And hey, look at this. This is another thing. If it works, look, it's a spinning map. It's it's a globe. So one of the things we finally decided to do with this World Guide was to get a look at what the actual planet looks like. And we just saw the inner sea pass us by. It's actually quite a small part. There's Tian Sha. Goodbye, Tian Sha. There's Arcadia. Oh, look, it's what's left of Aslan. Not much. There's the inner sea again. So a uh, <laughs> little tour around the world. Uh, there is unfortunately not a spinning globe inside the book itself, but we do have kind of a flat projection of this globe. And this is, this is the world we've been working on now for over a decade and that we will continue to work on as time goes on. And uh, as time goes on, we'll be exploring more and more of these places that we've never gotten to before, both within the inner sea and beyond. So let's talk about Beyond. The Lost Omens Character Guide is the next book uh, that comes out after the Lost Omens World Guide. Uh, the World Guide gives you a look at the world, uh, and this book gives you a look at the, the, the denizens of that world, the people who inhabit it. So there's a couple of really interesting aspects of this book. It has new heritages and ancestry feats for every core rulebook ancestry that are tied into various elements of Galarian. So some of the, uh, Jason, do you remember offhand, like some of the elf heritages in the core rulebook? Yeah, things like uh, Woodland Elf and Seer right. and, uh, and Whisper and right. things like that. So in this book, we go into like Snowcaster Elves of the Northlands of, of the Inner Sea region and Akuje Elves from the Mwangi Expanse. So we add some of the cultural elements from the campaign setting. So folks who just want to kind of use the Pathfinder rules to make their own games or to just kind of be really standard uh, variants on, uh, on Elves or even maybe some not-so-standard variants from the core rulebook have a lot more options in the character guide. Uh, in addition to the new uh, heritages and ancestry feats for the existing ancestries, we've got three new ancestries in this book. We're introducing hobgoblins, which were uh, a major part of uh, the uh, Iron Fang invasion uh, adventure path. Uh, there is now a hobgoblin sort of citadel slash mini nation in the inner sea region. Hobgoblins are uh, a ancestry uh, and creature that have always intrigued us a lot at uh, at Paizo, and so we're looking to get a little deeper into their culture and stuff now that they're a more preeminent part of the inner sea region. We also have leshies, which are a little uh, plant creatures that are imbued with the spirit of life. There are many leshy partisans in the Paizo offices, uh, and so we, we thought we'd give them a chance in the spotlight. So not only can your leaf druid have a companion who is a little leshy, like uh, my girlfriend's uh, character who is it looks like a, a, a animate clove of garlic and is named Stinky, and she's quite enjoying that. You could actually play Stinky as a uh, actual character uh, using the rules in this book. And then we've got Lizard Folk, another another uh, ancestry that we really wanted to delve into. Um, just, a, just an anecdote quickly about Lizard Folk. We were looking at them, and um, they're really cool. They've been a part of sort of fantasy going all the way back. But I feel like, and, and we, we had long discussions, not just about the, 
the the non-human races, but even some of the ways, some of the the ethnicities and things have been depicted in our products, and 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 we've taken a look at them. And you know, lizard folk, a lot of the the adventures that they've played in from kind of the earliest days of fantasy gaming have this sort of noble savage element to them, and they're they're kind of just like indigenous people proxies and stuff. And uh, we didn't really want to just do the same, like go into the lizard folk den, protect the egg chamber, or get out, you know, steal a trident from a powerful lizard folk adventure that we've all played a hundred times. So we started thinking a little bit more about like who are these guys really? They've been around for longer than elves. Um, they were they've seen time go. Uh, you know, in eons, they uh, they're obsessed with the stars. They're they're the best astrologers in uh, the world of uh, Galarian because they've been studying it the longest and just trying to add a little more nuance to that than just uh, yeah, he's got a loincloth and a shield or whatever. So, looking forward to seeing what uh, people use the lizard folk and the hobgoblins and the leshies for. Now, when we first announced this book, there were some questions about like, wow, the first three new ancestries for Pathfinder Second Edition. I might I get. Hobgoblin, maybe, but Leshy and Lizard Folk seem like odd choices. They won't seem so odd by the end of this presentation. Um, uh, okay, so five spoilers. Complete, <laughs> five complete factions in this book uh, with archetypes, things like Hell Knights, Pathfinder Society, uh, big mover and shaker organizations within uh, the world of Galarian. Templates to make um, uh, monsters work better with factions. So let's say that we had a Red Mantis faction in there. Well, how do you make a a, a, a Drow Elf a, a Red Mantis agent? There's some neat things that make them like more assassiny. So ways to kind of flavor your monsters, make more use out of this stat blocks in the uh, the bestiary. Um, let's take a look at one of the spreads. So this is a brand new group called the Firebrands that we've introduced into the world of Galarian. These guys are sort of your chaotic, good, anti-slavers, pirates, just your sort of scalawag, loosely knit confederation of things like uh, the Pirates of the Shackles and the Silver Ravens from the uh, Hell's Rebels adventure path. And a bunch of other uh, characters that might seem familiar. The Dawnflower Network uh, is involved in that as well. Um, and so that's a big one for us and there's a history of the organization there's benefits you get from membership as well as uh, some NPC slot stat blocks so these lost omens books are for both players and gms we it's not as strong as a distinction as i think is sometimes meant uh is sometimes inferred so if we jump to the next thing this will show you there's some of the ancestry feats we're talking about so you can get a quick look at that um, and then the next slide will show a couple of the NPCs. So there's a really kitted out uh, sort of clockworky obsessed venture captain for the Pathfinder Society. And then you've got a stat block for Pathfinder Agent. That's to help uh, GMs. And maybe uh, your, your, your PC has a friend you want to bring along for an adventure as well. So you never noticed the octopus buddy hugging his leg. Yeah, there. isn't That's that rad? Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. So uh, then uh, moving on to the next slide, let's get into some of the accessories that we're going to be doing. An old friend returns in the form of the Pathfinder critical hit deck. Jason, you want to talk a little bit about this guy? Uh, so this has been uh, one of our oldest products. Invented here at Gen Con while Jason Gen and I Con. were waiting yeah. for a slow elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> This 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 was this this was a product we originally invented back when we were still just doing 3.5 accessories, oh, yeah, that's right. uh, and then we converted it over to Pathfinder, and it has been a perennial hit. Well, critical hits are a big deal in Pathfinder Second Edition, so with with uh, you know the launch of the new game, it only made sense to revisit the critical hit deck and bring it up to the new edition as well. So when you roll a twenty, this will be. Uh, there's a couple different ways you can use this. If you want to go real crazy, it's whenever you score a critical hit. 
You can also just limit it to an actual natural 20 critical hit. Uh, you draw a card from the deck, and instead of dealing double damage, you get an additional effect instead. So uh, the, the cards have four different effects on them, one for slashing, one for piercing, one for bludgeoning, and one for magic. Uh, so when you score a critical hit, uh, you could do something like, I don't know, decapitate your foe. Um, or, you know, just pin them to the ground with an arrow or, you know, light them on fire with your spell. There's lots of different things you can do. Uh, the deck kind of adds some random fun to your game. Uh, and uh, that is coming out here real soon. Does it still have that effect from the first edition one that has my favorite name, which is called like, Ow, My Teeth? My teeth. I have no idea if we kept that. I'll have to (laughs) double check. If not, we might have to errata that in. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Late late minute ad. That's a bludgeoning effect. All right. The next, uh, the next uh, one is uh, a follow up on that. That's the critical fumble deck. Again, very popular with first edition. Poor Fumbus, really. We've you guys seen that picture in the core rulebook where he's just filled with arrows and he's dying? Anybody in here hate goblins and don't like the fact that they're in the game? Yeah, we killed no, him in okay. that picture. Yeah. Just for you guys. So I put that down on, the, on the GM screen. It will be facing you at all times, and you can be like, I might not like him, but at least that one's dead. Okay, uh, <laughs> Pathfinder Critical Fumble deck. Uh, Jason, just briefly. It's kind of the same thing. It's just in reverse. So uh, fumbles are now a common part of the game, and uh, when you roll one, uh, you would draw a card from this deck and figure out what the effect was. Once again... Bludgeoning, slashing, piercing, or magic. And it does things like you drop your weapon, you break your spear, your spell backfires and hits you instead. Things like that. Um, This adds a lot of chaos to your game. Uh, and uh, there, are, we even include some rules about how to use the the two decks together. Yeah, so. I find that the fumble deck it seems to be a lot funnier than the the critical yeah. hit deck, but I'm only saying that because I'm usually the GM. Yeah, no, that's okay. right. Um, all right, so next slide. Uh, this is the Pathfinder Bestiary Pawn Box. So this is a update to the uh, old Pathfinder Pawns Bestiary Box. Um, and what this is is this is the second edition Bestiary. So all the illustrations from the second edition Bestiary, even some illustrations that didn't fit in the second edition bestiary. So every creature that is not uh, bigger than the biggest pawn that we make uh, does appear in this set. It's got more than 400 pawns, so it's about half, again, as big as the old set. This is going to be the main um, product for Pathfinder Pawns. It gives you all, just like the bestiary, gives you kind of that, the first basic group of monsters. The bestiary pawn box gives you pawns for those monsters. There's multiple pawns for uh, commonly encountered creatures. There's plastic bases that the pawns slide into. If you've seen pawns before, this is the same thing, but bigger. Um, So that's going to come out in November. Uh, In December, next slide, a product we've not even announced yet, but here we are. It is the Pathfinder Bestiary Battle Cards. This is a giant collection of monster flash cards, essentially. They are four by six cardstock cards. Um, They are uh, 408 of them in the box. So we're talking a big old stack of cards. Every monster in the bestiary gets a, uh, a card. These are meant to speed up play at the table. And if we can advance to the next slide, that's what they look like. So on one side, there's a, a picture. So that's our sea serpent. And then the other side, it's got all the stats that you need to run the encounter. doesn't have all the fun sidebars and the lore and the, the ecological information and what that, whatnot. You're going to want the book for that. But when you're coming to a con, you're going to run a game. You're going over to your buddy's house. You don't want to lug your book around. You can just up, 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 slot the monsters you need for the day. 
you're good to go. So I'm very, very excited. As someone who runs a lot of games and not always, you know, in my library or den or whatever, I'm really stoked about this. Uh, really beautiful illustrations throughout. The next slide shows a dragon. Look at that. It's a silver dragon. So everybody from the, the least, most weeniest monster all the way up to Tree Razor, the Demon Lord, uh, are going to get their own card here. So uh, that's going to be, I think, a very, very useful resource. Jason, do you have any insight into these things? Uh, we, uh, you know, this is one of those things that is just an invaluable tool and, yeah. uh, we're, we're looking forward to getting it out. Uh, not every monster fits on one card. A couple of them have two to get all the stats out there. Some of those really high level ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's another one of those things where it's like, make it 400 cards. And I'm like, gotcha boss. I need 20 more. <laughs> you <laughs> but, get eight. Uh, yeah. All right. We made it work. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's really exciting. I can't wait. So one that. of the things, we'll see how it goes. I, I think these will be super useful, whether people want to buy them and whether people are going to pay 60 bucks for them. Yeah, we'll see. I hope so. And if, if it is a success, I think we'll, you'll see this applied to a lot of different things. I'd love to be able to maybe do a pack that's got all the stat blocks and creatures from an adventure path or, you know, a set that goes with a Pathfinder Battles miniature set. So you get the stats for every miniature in the set or something like that. So it's got to kind of, you know, survive the sniff test of the first one being released. But if this works, I think we're going to have a lot more in, in this line to come. Um, just trying, you know, some of the philosophy that Jason and his team put into the design of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, making it easier to play, making it faster, to, or easier to learn and faster to play in particular, that is one of the goals of a lot of these accessories as well, is to speed yeah. up play, just make the GM's job easier, make the player's job a little bit easier, reduce flipping through the books, so on and so forth. All right, so let's get into 2020 for realsies. Uh, the next slide uh, kicks off January with the Lost Omens Gods and Magic book. So if the first Lost Omens book was all about the world, the second Lost Omens book was all about the denizens of the world, the third Lost Omens book is all about the gods and the amazing magic that the religion brings to the world of Lost Omens. This has got key details on pretty much all of the gods from that we've ever done. Uh, for uh, Pathfinder, the more prominent ones get full write-ups, uh, but I believe pretty much everybody gets the the baseline information about, you know, domains and uh, favored weapons and all that kind of stuff. So what alignments the, the, the clerics are allowed. There's a big, 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 big chart at the end of this book that has a lot of that stuff. But a lot of this book is flavor. And speaking of flavor, um, I'm super excited about this cover. This thing is really cool. And I'd ask you to look closely at this thing um, because at the top there, for the first time ever, we are showing the Star Stone, which is kind of the probably the most important artifact in the entire world this yeah. is uh this is part of the debris from space that was called down by the aboliths when they sunk the old Empire of Aslant below the waves uh, uh, 10,000 years ago, they basically pulled a bunch of space rocks uh, into the planet, and uh, the planet was only saved by a couple of Aslanti gods essentially sacrificing their lives to prevent the devastation. Even then, they could only prevent the entire destruction of the, the planet. They couldn't save old Aslant. Poor lot. And uh, our good friend Aridin, uh, who would one day become the god of humanity, uh, saved the people of Aslant, and eventually, after thousands of years traveling the world, and uh, learning from other cultures above and beyond Aslanti, uh, he raised the Star Stone from where it had embedded itself into the earth when it created the inner sea. He raised it from the seafloor with the Isle of Cortos. He touched the rock. His mind was sucked inside the rock, and he was put to a series of tests that tested his combat prowess, his magic 
magical ability and his morality uh, to see if he was worthy of becoming a god. Not that any judge or jury would say he was worthy, but it was a test of himself. And you can see there, it's maybe hard to see on this image uh, at a distance, but there's a whole pile of stuff sitting underneath the star stone. And that's all the poor bastards who made their way through the cathedral's traps to get to the central chamber, touched the magical artifacts, certain that they would become a god. And then they failed the test, and they starved to death, and that's their skeletons. So should be a bit of a daunting scene when you get in there. Um, below there, we see uh, depictions of the three gods other than Aridin who have successfully taken the test of the Starstone. We've got our drunk adventurer god, Caden Kalian, Iomide, the hero goddess, and Nor Gorber, the reaper of reputation, god of poison and murderers and skullduggery of all kinds. So this thing is a full resource on gods and magic called Gods and Magic. The uh, next slide will show a nice spread. There you got Rovagog uh, fighting Saren Ray and Asmodeus and uh, some others. Looks like maybe Phrasma's back there. Uh, and Desna. This is like a, a mythological element. We know for, for as much as we've published about our gods, we really haven't done a lot about their mythology and how they interact, uh, relate to each other. And that's something we're looking to get into a little bit more with second edition. So give your players a little bit more aphorisms and stuff to throw out at the table when they're showing that they're so much wiser than everybody else. So this is uh, Gods of the Inner Sea opening spread. The next thing, that's what the first spread of one of these deity write-ups looks like. So that's Iomide. Um, pretty cool. All right, we don't have a ton of time, so I want to keep moving at a steady clip. Next up, we have the second adventure path for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. This is called the Extinction Curse Adventure Path. So that star stone at the top of the Gods and Magic uh, book cover was not just uh, a sign of Golarian's deep and exciting past, but also a sign of the future yet to come because the star stone sits in Absalom on the Isle of Kortos, and throughout 2020, we will be doing a lot with the city of Absalom. It is the largest, most important city in uh, the inner sea uh, region, if not the entire world of Galarian. Depends on who you ask. If you ask me, yes. Uh, and it's a place where Pathfinder Society is based. It's a place where uh, it's just right in the center of the map, and all cultures and people interact there. It's, some, it's super diverse in terms of the different types of folks you can meet there from different parts of the world, not just the inner sea. And finally, for the first time in the Lost uh, Omens World Guide, we've developed a lot about the Isle of Kortos above and beyond the city of Absalom. So there's an old book about Absalom, and there's a couple of PFS scenarios, and the other two dots on that map, and it's like Diabelle's little town and then there's this other little town Escadar but you measure the map and it's like 30 60 miles across there's a lot more to the Isle of Kortos than that first thing we learn is that the word Kortos is Aslanti for Starstone so it's also known as the Starstone Isle and uh, we've done a lot of details about that map an extinction curse uh, you learn a lot about that island as you travel around it as members of a circus troupe that has a tight schedule to adhere to so you go from town to town to town and as you do you discover that uh, these towers called the Aeon Towers that have magical gemstones provided by Aridin himself to enrich the plant life and the growth and the uh, fecundity of the foodstuffs on the island are being stolen or ruined. And it turns out back in the day, Aridin, being such a good god of humanity, raised this soaking rock from the bottom of the ocean and said, this shall be the seat of my cult and I shall found the city of Absalom, but they will probably need something to eat other than kelp. And so he went down into the Darklands. He found a, in the deepest layer orb of the, uh, the, the Darklands in a uh, vault miles from the surface of the earth. He discovered a sort of hollow world uh, that had been uh, had, had teamed with jungles and plant life. And there were huge gemstones that had been embedded in the ceiling, perhaps by the ancient vault builders 
themselves, and they cast weird radiations down in the the cavern that made the 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 plants grow much to the 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 appreciation of the dinosaurian zolgaths, otherwise known as troglodytes, who dwelled in this ancient land. And Aridin, being the god of humanity, said. These these gemstones are too good for monsters to have. I think I'll just sweep them up and put them on my new island. And so he did, because he's kind of a dick. And uh, and thousands and thousands of years later, the uh, Zolgaths want their their uh, magic rocks back. They come to the surface, cause all kinds of calamities. There's one adventure in this adventure path called, uh, I think it's Attack of the Assault of the Dinosaurs. Attack of the Dinosaurs. Amazing. There's going to be dinosaurs. There's going to be uh, all, uh, a bunch of stuff on the Isle of Cortos. There is not, however, in this adventure path, going to be much in the city of Absalom itself because you got a tight schedule to keep or the ringmaster is going to be quite disappointed. So that jumps off in January, goes through June. So, uh, and then next is the Pathfinder Game Mastery Guide. So it's originally uh, going to come out in November, but we're pushing it back to January, uh, <laughs> probably February. Uh, it reminds me of Rick and Morty when the when uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. I can't even say his name at the end of the yeah, season yeah. goes, see you next year. Maybe longer. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but uh, looking like January, February. Game Mastery Guide is the next big hardcover book after the launch books. And this gives you, it's not required. All the GM stuff that you need is in the core rulebook itself. But this is for folks who want to dive a little bit deeper. It's got a ton of subsystems. Well, you know what, Jason, why don't you talk about it? So uh, real briefly, because we have talked about this before and we're running a little light on yeah, time. Wow, wow. Uh, so uh, the Game Mastery Guide is here to provide game masters with all the tools they need to take their game to the next level. It gives them all the tools to make monsters, to make magic items. That's where the rules will be for creating new monsters and magic items. It also includes a bunch of subsystems like chases and uh, uh, you know the victory point system and duels and things like that. So if you want to add those things to your game, this will let you do it. Um, it also includes alternate rules, like let's say you want to play uh, without the proficiency system or you want to take the plus level out. We're going to give you options and advice for how to do that in your game. Uh, and last but not least, it also includes a very large gallery of NPCs yes. uh, that will allow you to populate your world easily and quickly with guards and magistrates and thieves and cult leaders and all the various types of characters. They're all listed as human with uh, real quick conversion blocks to change them into dwarves or elves or any of the other ancestries in the game. Awesome. Uh, that that uh, NPC section of the first edition Game Mastery Guide still pops off still the useful. shelf yeah. frequently. So this one's going to be even better. All right, so the next hardcover book we're doing is The Dead God's Hand. This is a 128-page, six- or seven-level adventure that I am currently in the throes of finishing. Uh, This has been an adventure that I started as part of a campaign that I ran for the Paizo staff and for folks at uh, PaizoCon. In fact, we have some people who've played it at different cons here. Uh, I've expanded it significantly. Um, it's uh, got uh, traditional dungeon crawl elements. It's basically you start off as prisoners of a clan of Durgar about a mile below the city of Absalom who've been hired by a mysterious villain to tunnel in a bunch of different directions, several teams of uh, enslaved labor uh, to find some unknown thing. And in one night, uh, one of the groups, not yours, doesn't come back when they ring the dinner bell. And it's time to find out what's going on. And the guards, Durgar being easily thrown off their game uh, forget to lock up your cell door as they pursue this missing group down uh, this tunnel that they'd been carving for weeks only to find their way into something called the Lost Sanctum of Aridin, which is one of the most legendary lost dungeons under the city of Absalom. You explore that. Uh, it's pretty 
crazy dungeon crawl action, and eventually you need to get an an artifact or an item called the Dead God's Hand. And in order to do so, you need to take something called the Test of Eridan, which was an initiation ritual that his ancient clerics and uh, warriors used to take. Uh, and they would touch this uh, the well, they would touch the Dead God's Hand, whatever that may be, and they would get a uh, wasn't known as the Dead God's Hand back then, uh, and because he wasn't dead yet. And uh, you get to have the, back then you got to have a personal audience with Eridan himself, and he would kind of initiate you fully into the cult. In particular, there's a knighthood I've been sprinkling stuff in Pathfinder about for a long time, the Knights of the Ion Star. Now they're called the Knights of the Aeon Star. They, 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 some of them got trapped in there when Aridan died because now there's no way in and out. There's no doors. You had to teleport through a portal, and now that portal's lost. So you guys are some of the first people to enter this in over 100 years. You do the Test of Aridan, which is kind of a hint at what the Test of the Starstone is all about, and you end up reliving scenes from Aridan's life and being judged by various interesting characters. There's fun lore. This is very lore-heavy, and I think Pathfinder 2nd Edition, um, as a designer, I actually love it even more than as a GM and a player because it, it has lots of great ways to get that kind of lore and information that we as writers love to put into dungeons, but oftentimes is maybe just like a little treat for the GM. I'm really focusing on how does that information get into play, how do players use their lore skills and other abilities, and the system Jason uh, and his team have put up has, has so flexible. There's many, many ways to get that stuff in there, so everyone kind of understands what's going on. Like uh, Jason's Adventure, The Fall of Plaguestone, this has an associated uh, flip mat with it, but because the adventure is 128 pages, there's actually two double-sided flip mats, so it's a flip mat multi-pack. I could talk about this for an hour, but I won't. Uh, next up is uh, something we've never announced before. Here we go. Absalom, City of Lost Omens, Absalom Sourcebook, 288-page hardcover. Uh, we're still working on the price, but um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be in dollars. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, is going to come out here at Gen Con, July 30th, 2020. Gen Con is in July next year, and uh, and we're ready. So uh, Absalom, City of Lost Omens, 12 plus districts. Uh, we go deep dive on it with encounter keys with uh, adventure hooks with actual little encounters you can run on the fly um, we've got items we've got all kinds of lore we've got organizations we've got NPCs it's crazy I've been since Pathfinder since before Pathfinder started I've been gathering all the continuity and lore because I'm that's just the insane way that I am uh, and it is over 95,000 words of stuff from previous books and all of that goes into this at least in a that's the truth part not we've all rewritten it and everything but but it's it's internally consistent with what we've done before, which is pretty rad. So you'll see a lot of familiar faces, particularly if you played a lot of PFS uh, scenarios or other adventures of ours set in Absalom. But... In order to have a great campaign, you need a great map. And in order to have the greatest map possible, we're doing a super huge version of the City of Lost Omens poster. So this is the an older version of the map. We're fully updating the map. We are making it four eight-panel posters. So if you've seen the Inner Sea uh, poster map folio that we did a long time ago, this is a city done on that same scale. So we're going to get as close to the buildings as possible. You probably won't be able to read the addresses, but we're going to get as close to, as possible. That'll be the master map. We'll shrink that thing down to make the one eight panel map in the in the hardcover book and there'll be maps throughout the book but there's going to be a giant map so if you want to set a campaign in Absalom throw that on your wall and you can just like chart out where you where you are in a given day you may need a long pointer it's going to be awesome so that is Absalom City of Lost Omens poster map folio comes out in August 25 bucks uh, but let's do a campaign in Absalom because we've never done that so I'd like to announce the next adventure path that we're doing 
and it is called the Agents of Edgewatch Adventure Path. This is something I've wanted to do forever. Uh, Patrick Rennie, who uh, used to work on our player companion line and came back to Paizo after a couple year absence, has been throwing himself into developing our Adventure Path. He's doing a great job with this one. These one, you are members of Absalom City Watch. So uh, this is sort of the one way to think about it is like sort of CSI Absalom, right? It's a it's a uh, it's a, a bit of a police procedural. Uh, the uh, the the story behind it is Absalom has a new uh, Lord Mayor, uh, acting Lord Mayor, um, and uh, he wants to reopen the Precipice District, which is a section of town that slid off nearly most of it into the harbor in an earthquake about 20 years ago. Now they're reopening it and they're throwing like a big World's Fair type of event uh, to celebrate, and they need to initiate a new order of watch for that district because the district was completely abandoned and all of its governmental functions were abandoned uh, back in the earthquake and you are members of the super squad, the edge watch who's going to get put together to patrol this world's fair type of event and to be the new guard unit in uh, the precipice district and you each are from a different city guard detachment from one of the 12 districts in the town. So one of you guys might be like from the rich people part of town wearing nice clothes and being all hoity-toity and having contacts with the nobility while the other one's used to taking bribes as a member of the Coins District Token Guard uh, who can be paid off easily. And so each one your backgrounds for this are going to tie into where you come from. This is the perfect way to explore the city. We will not leave the city of Absalom for even a second of this adventure path. It is a pure urban adventure path. It's crime. It's weird sort of background uh, broadsheet newspaper publishing. It's uh, it's going to be awesome. So uh, that is six volumes starting in July. So it'll be here at Gen Con. So what else will be coming? I've got two more slides. So I think here we go. Next thing coming up is... Bestiary 2. So we're going to do Bestiary 2 in the spring. So spring's looking like March, uh, April, somewhere in there. Um, it's going to have more than 300 monsters. Uh, it's the next batch of monsters. So those of you who have flipped through the uh, Pathfinder Bestiary for second edition and said, oh, I wish this, mo this monster I consider to be a fairly standard Pathfinder monster. How come they didn't put that in there? Well, it's going to be in Bestiary 2. We know that a lot of people are kind of going to want to wait till there's a certain critical mass of material in second edition before they're ready to flip over. That'll also help to make running conversions of things like Emerald Spy or really anything that's like go to the Bestiary for this stat block. It'll be a lot easier when Bestiary 2 is out. So that's one of the reasons why I did a second Bestiary so quickly after the first one. Uh, within the first seven months of Pathfinder second edition, we'll have more than 800 monsters in print. It's not all of them, you know. We didn't. We're not going to catch up to Best Series Six right away, but we're going to get there pretty close. Uh, anything else to say about Best Series Two? I have 10 monsters from the book. Oh, let's hear them. Yeah. So uh, here on the cover, you can see the Ravener. He's right in the middle there. You can see Morlocks kind of off on the edge, and right in the middle there, there's kind of a darker snake uh, a form that is a serpent folk. This book is also going to include the Valstrak, formerly known as Chitons. The Sandpoint Devil is going to make an appearance. Clipoths, a whole bunch of them. Look for primal dragons in this book. The Oni are going to have a huge section in this book. Grindelau are going to be in here. And sharpen up your Vorpal Swords because the Jabberwock is back. Yay! So uh, it's great because this is a nice mix of like the, the next most obvious monsters that we all want and then a bunch of fun stuff and some Galarian stuff as well. So that's pretty kick-ass. So, okay, you know what else is kick-ass, you guys? You can get a lot of class options in Pathfinder two, but they're not as many as we had in Pathfinder one. They probably never will be. But in any event, uh, let's get some more classes in with the next slide. Uh, we're doing the Advanced Player's Guide for second edition. That is going to be coming out. Well, all right. 
That is going to be coming out in uh, July here at Gen Con. So we're only a year away. It's going to have four new classes. Uh, Jason, you want to take us through these bullet points, actually? Sure, actually. So uh, we are going to include four classes. And yes, there will be a playtest starting in October of all four of them. So you will be able to add them to your game even sooner than this book releases. They will be the Investigator, the Oracle, the Swashbuckler, and the Witch. We looked at those four classes. We looked at a lot of the classes from first edition and tried to think about which ones made really good additions to our game, not just from a mechanical sense, but also from the world of Galarian. And these four rose to the top pretty quick. Now, uh, I'd love to go into more detail about them, but I gotta be honest, they're still in the early stages of design and we're almost out of time. So, uh, in addition to that, we are going to have a whole bunch of ancestries in this book as well, including the Catfolk, Changeling, Dampier, Kobolds, Orc, Ratfolk, Tengu, and Three Plain Touch. The Asimar, the Duskwalker, and the Tiefling. All of those are going to be heritage options that can be opened up to multiple ancestries to add to your game. So you can be an elven Asimar and a human Asimar and maybe even a dwarf Asimar, whatever you want. Yeah. And there's so many in here, you'll see I wrote eight when it's really more like 10 or 11. So, yeah. Well, yeah. The, I'm confused. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got it. So, um, I also want to announce that this book will also have 60 archetypes in it. These are going to be available to almost all classes. I think there might be a few in here that end up being special. We've just done our brainstorm on these. They're entering very early design, but I want to share just a handful oh, of them. Oh, the brainstorm was so delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pirate, acrobat, duelist. Uh, Beastmaster, Gladiator, Poisoner, Assassin, Bounty Hunter, Scout. We're going to bring all these to your table, all in the Advanced Player's Guide, here at Gen Con next year. And plus some weirder ones that I don't think any of us were anticipating. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's there's some crazy stuff on that list that so, we still so have good. to sort through. So, um, so uh, one thing I want to say about this, and we're, we're actually a little bit over time, so I apologize for that. I, uh, it was sort of inevitable, I suppose. Um, Advanced Players Guide, we're not just going to, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, just keep doing 1st Edition books, you no. know, in order and all that. But when I was sitting and thinking about it, the Advanced Players Guide, to me, is the moment where Pathfinder became something more than what it was originally intended to be, which was just to continue 3.5. So Pathfinder becoming Pathfinder started in many ways, well, it started in the core rulebook, but it really took form in the Advanced Players Guide, where we introduced archetypes, where we got some other big yeah. rules that have become keystone Pathfinder stuff. So I wanted to continue that. There will always be an advanced player's guide, Jason. No, no. Well, so. the, this is forming what we're really considering the core nexus of the game. You got your core rule book, the best theory, the game mastery guide, the advanced player's guide. These are the four books that we're going to assume are at every table. What happens after that, we're excited to talk about in the future, but it's still way too early for any of that. But uh, this book will be an invaluable companion for your table. It's got more of everything, right? It's got right. more spells, more equipment, you know, uh, more backgrounds, more everything. So quickly, I just wanted to also mention that um, one of the reasons the investigator is in here because we think he will be the perfect class for the Agents of Edwatch uh, adventure path. So there's going to be mysteries to solve, so let's put a crime solver in That's there. That's right. Oracle, every single one of these classes is going to not just have a conceptual niche, but to fill a mechanical niche as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And so we're really looking forward to getting into a class like the Oracle, which was super popular in the playtest. Some of the stuff that these guys did with the Sorcerer kind of touches on some of the mechanical stuff, so we're looking at how to make that unique and interesting. 
interesting yeah. and true to the concept of the of the Oracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Oracle is obviously going to have curses and stuff like that, but we might go back to some of its more kind of pantheistic roots and play around with some of those elements. Uh, it'll definitely have a lot of uh, divine and uh, and uh, maybe even some occult elements thrown nice. into it. So it should be a lot of fun. The swashbuckler we're aiming to be the ultimate mobility warrior. You will be mobile in ways that other characters can only drool over. Uh, and the investigator is going to be the skill-heavy class that's going mm -hmm. to be able to solve a lot of your problems through skill use. And, of course, then there's the witch, uh, which is going to let us revisit familiars and, of course, hexes. Right, so we right. can't wait. I am super stoked personally about the swashbuckler. The new action economy of Pathfinder Second Edition to me makes martial characters more interesting to play than they've ever been before. And Absolutely. just to marry that with some of what we already know about the first edition swashbuckler is really exciting. I should point out the four illustrations that are on this slide uh, are the first edition versions of these characters. They will all receive updates by Wayne. Well, I should say three of them will receive updates by Wayne because one of them's getting replaced. But I'm not going to tell you which. So we can figure it out. And I didn't mean W-I-T-C-H. I will tell you Faye is safe. Everyone loves her too yeah, much. So, okay. Um, that, I think, brings us to the end of our presentation. If you got any questions for us, Jason and Rob will be right back outside. Feel free to ask some more. We have no more secrets. Thanks, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to NoDirectionPodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at Patreon.com slash NoDirection. Or click on the Patreon link at NoDirectionPodcast.com. <laughs>